0: Hello and thank you so much for tuning into the She Can Ball podcast. I'm your host Mahitriwala. Today we're joined by Megan McPeak, the play-by-play announcer for the Washington Mystics. Before we get into it, I want to thank Keto Crisp by Kandu for sponsoring today's episode. Keto Crisp protein bars only have 4 grams of carbs and 2 grams of sugar with 10 grams of protein. I keep these in my basketball and school bag because they make the perfect snack. What I love most about these bars is how good they taste. One of my favorite flavors is almond butter chocolate chip, and it literally tastes like a chocolate chip cookie. I'm an almond butter lover, so these bars just really hit home for me, but don't take my word for it. Try some yourself by going to tastecando.com and use code ball for 15% off your purchase. Okay, so let's get into it. So just tell us about your childhood and how
1: you got interested into broadcasting. So I actually played basketball growing up and played through high school, through college. And it was college that I decided to change from my interest in being a strength and conditioning coach to uh, the broadcasting side of things. And kind of just went from there. Um, Growing up in Canada, we didn't really see many women in sports on the broadcasting side of things, um, unless we were lucky enough to, you know, once in a while get um, some footage from ESPN and see the likes of, you know, Robin Roberts, Hannah Storm, um, on, on television. Um, and then just with her emergence in the NBA in Doris Burke. So they were kind of the three that I knew growing up, um, in sports broadcasting. And that's kind of where I realized that women could do it because like I said, in Canada it was predominantly male, um, and you know, you add in the fact that there wasn't really many women that looked like me, if at all on the Canadian side. So it was actually the U S side that I saw a lot more, um, people that looked like me and that's kind of just where it went from there. And just thinking, um, that I wanted to prepare myself for a post-playing career. Cause I had the hopes of playing professionally, but, um, other circumstances didn't allow that to happen. So that uh, plan was actually expedited to as soon as I graduated college and it kind of just went from there.
0: You you talk about playing basketball. I mean, when did your love for basketball kind of first arise?
1: Probably when I was younger, I have an older brother um, and I, you know, like most younger siblings wanted to be like him. Um, so anything he wanted to do, I wanted to do it as well. I was the annoying little sister who followed him everywhere. Um, and you know, if I wanted to play with him and his friends, he's four years older than me. So if I want to play with him and his friends, I had to know the rules and I had to understand that I couldn't go crying to mom if something happened that I didn't like. Um, so, you know, if I got hit hard or pushed, um, I had to either go cry to mom and never be able to play again with him and his friends or suck it up and just understand that, you know, you're playing with older kids, um, boys or girls didn't matter to him. And, you know, I'm smaller, so things are going to happen. And then my, my best friend um, that I grew up with, I was, you know, taller than most kids at our age. So she was like, do you want, you should try out for, you know, our, our basketball team and and see what happens. And it kind of just went from there. And I haven't looked back since. And like, what was your experience playing college basketball? Um, So the Canadian system is much different than the U.S. system. Um, The emphasis is not as much heavily on the athlete side of things. It's more so on the academic side of things, Um, from my experience. uh, So when you have the term student athlete, they really truly look at it as student first and then athlete. Um, unlike what we know as, you know, the NCAA and the powerhouse that it is, but it was, it was fun, um, you know, getting to travel and play basketball and continue playing the sport that I loved was, you know, nothing to complain about and getting to meet different people was really fun as well too. And it, um, it allowed me to be able to meet people in the sports media world, in the, in, in the Canadian side of things, um, specifically with the Toronto Raptors, because a lot of the times, um, visiting NBA opponents would need, you know, a place to practice if they came in early for a game. Um, and my school was not far from the airport. So it worked out that our gym would usually be used for teams to, to practice and work out because we had, you know, three giant courts set up, So it allowed them to have the space that they needed. So getting to meet different NBA teams and different NBA players was pretty cool um, as a college player. And then also to every summer, we would be the host site for um, the Raptors basketball Academy, which is like their summer camp. So seeing the kids come in and, and learn the game of basketball, but also to different people from different sectors of the Toronto Raptors organization allowed me to meet them and um, kind of just get you know an eye level view of what the NBA is like um, unlike from what we see as fans.
0: And then when did you kind of really start get inter- getting interested into like the field of um, broadcasting specifically?
1: So I'm very, very lucky um, that I one went to school for something that I enjoy doing, um, and two graduated and I'm actually. Working in the field that I went to school for, um because I have a lot of friends that, you know, for example, went to school for marketing and they're working in nothing that has to do with marketing um, or you know, stuff like that. so I um was very lucky in that sense that I was able to find work within the field that I went to school for, but also to, I was able to find work basically right after graduating, which in the media world is not really consistent. Um, I wouldn't say it's unheard of, but at that time, because we're going back, you know, a decade, um, it was a little bit unheard of to graduate and immediately be doing something that you wanted to do and wanted to strive to do. So I was very lucky in that sense that, you know, I graduated and six months later, I was doing play-by-play and, you know, color analysts Um, on a consistent basis as well to you know our program at the at at Humber um, they have their own radio station so it also was like in school we were on air Um, so a very well respected program in Canada um, and and set their students up for a lot of success
0: and then like you know Moving along like your broadcasting career, I mean, how do you think you've got your foot in that door? Because like you said, it is hard, especially with media and with limited opportunities, like, and, you know, not
1: always having that representation. I mean, what pushed you to kind of keep going? Yeah, I think Mahi, the, the biggest thing is like, as much as I hate it because it's just my personality is networking. Um, And I'm I'm the generation that grew up pre-internet. And then when the internet first started, and then what we know the internet as right now whereas your generation only knows what we know the internet yeah. as right now um so i had to learn how to network kind of both ways and when i was in school like twitter and facebook just started um so one that tells you how old i am um and two it was you know it it wasn't so much as a comfort level for people back then to like network via social media because it was still so new. Whereas now, you know, you tweet something out. I mean, you saw the um, you saw the Twitter campaign of, you know the manifesting um, campaign that they just started promoting of like people tweeting something, you know five, 10 years ago yeah. and then eventually it comes true. So like when when Twitter and Facebook first started that wasn't necessarily like a common thing to do. So trying to reach out to people via Twitter or Facebook was still, you know, relatively new. So it wasn't, there wasn't that comfort level that you see today. Um, so just reaching out and connecting with people that way um, who were in the sports media landscape, both in the U S and in Canada, and just utilizing those um, relationships and cultivating those relationships to put me in a position where, excuse me, I could continue to, you know, build my broadcasting career, I don't want to say brand, um, because I don't do it for like the brand stuff, but I understand also too, as a, you know, on-air talent, you do have your own brand, but it was more so just trying to cultivate those relationships to put me in a position where if something became open, I would be top of mind for people. And, you know, I think that I did a really good job of doing that because, um, my opportunity in the Canadian Um, Pro League, and then my opportunity first in the G League with the 905 stemmed from those relationships that I cultivated with two separate people, um, but both utilizing the relationships I had with them to be able to put myself in a position to one interview and to successfully get the job. So um, as much as networking can be, you know, a little bit terrifying at some points, but also frustrating, it can also, you know, work really well for people, in different situations,
0: like what advice do you have for networking and making those connections? Because I know, like coming from Canada, it must be harder to be in that kind of more limited sports scene, as there's not as much going on as there here there is here in the U.S.
1: Yeah, you look at um, you look at the Canadian landscape, and it's it's limited in the sense of how many teams they have, how many yeah. um, networks they have. It's not the same as you know here in the U.S. Um, but that is also why I made sure to try and network with people who are both Canadian and American on both sides of the border. uh, Because I always had the, you know, I've always had the dream of wanting to be in the U S and work in the U S in the sports world and in sports media. So I knew that I needed to make sure I was cultivating relationships with people on both sides. And, you know as much as I say, I get frustrated networking, I know how important it is. The biggest thing I would say is it has to be authentic because, you know, people within the industry, whether it's fellow out on air talent, or it's, you know, network executives or team executives, you know, people who are the decision makers, they understand when someone new is reaching out to them, that it's most likely a networking situation. But if you can also be authentic with them and just, try to get to know them on an authentic level, the relationship is cultivated much more organically as opposed to, you know, forcing it. Um, I never try to force networking conversations with people. Um, I never try to force, you know, a relationship on someone uh, in this industry because I don't want them to feel like I'm just trying to use them because that's not at all what I'm doing. So I always try to make sure that it's organic and and stuff like that. So for me, um, an authentic and organic cultivated relationship for me goes much further um, than, you know, just being the surface level. So that would probably be my biggest piece of advice is build it authentically and organically and don't try to force it.
0: And then your first role, like with the um, Toronto Raptors G League, like
1: what was that like? Uh, it was fun. I loved it. Um, I was there for three years, and my last two years, we went to the championship um, twice. Uh, the first year we went, we won with um, head coach Jerry Stackhouse, and it was also really cool to just see the um, like the team be built from the early stages um, in the inaugural season, and it just go you know from the ground up. Um, and then have the success that they've had with, you know, developing guys within the organization. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, the G League is a fun brand of basketball. It is definitely intense because the G League is consistently changing with players, getting call-ups and getting different contracts, whether it's in the US or overseas. So it always keeps you on your toes. But um, those those three years with with the 905 were were really fun and really fantastic and set me up to continue down the path that I've been doing so far.
0: Like play-by-play announcing, I mean, I've talked to a lot of play-by-play announcers, like Kate Scott was telling me about just how weird it is, like, you know, prepping for play-by-play because it's like, it, it's almost like you're going for a game, you know, because you have to prep about, okay, what are some, like, key talking points I can have, but once, once that mic, start, mic starts, you kind of just have to keep rolling.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, you can prep all you want And you might use like 10% of all the stuff you prepped for. (laughs) But the thing is, is that you have to still prep the the other 90% because one, you don't know what 10% of that 90 or 10% of that 100% you're going to use. So to try and guess and figure it out would be really difficult. But then also too, if you don't do the other 90%, you're going to be put in a situation where you need something in that 90% and you don't have it. Um, so yeah, play by play is so interesting because as an analyst, you, you prep for one, you know, like what the team likes to do, um, some, you know, funky, uh, plays that they might do be ready for, you know, different situations that the team has been previously put in, um, you know, ATOs, which are after timeouts, stuff like that. So you, as an analyst, you can prep for that because you watch film, you can break it down, Um, versus like play-by-play, you can do all of that, but also too, you have to know the game and also be prepared for those moments where you need that prep that you did to kind of fill some of the storyline and fill what's going on. And also, you know, something that might've been relevant four games prior, and in those four games, it wasn't relevant, but in this fifth game, what happened four games ago is relevant again so like you need to be prepared to be able to talk about that so yeah it's so interesting um but i love it so i i i never complain about you know all the prep that goes into it because at the end of the day like i get i get paid to watch and talk about basketball so like is it really that bad <laughs>
0: Like, you know, when you're in the middle of it, I animals, mean, it's almost like being in a game, you know, like you make a mistake, you have, kind of have to keep going. So like, how do you yes. handle your nerves and how do you deal with like making mistakes on the fly?
1: Um, You know, like in the moment when a mistake is made, if it's like really bad or very obvious or, you know, something that's like, oh, like I should probably apologize for that. Literally <laughs> just like, you know, pardon me, correct it and move on. Um you know, I think one of the, one of the probably most consistent mistakes that might be made is like, you say someone's name wrong and you don't do it on purpose because obviously we prep for that. But in the moment when you're saying it for the first time, it might get mixed up. So, you know, you just correct yourself and move on. Um, Like for me, the one thing that I I love is the fact that I kind of like treat each game the way I did when I played. So it's like, you, you make a mistake, you got to move on to the next play. Like, you know, this, you play sports. So you've got to just move on. You can't dwell on the mistake because you have to continue to play the game. So that's kind of how I treat calling the game if I make a mistake um, or if I stumble on my words or if I you know, try and tell a joke and my analyst doesn't think it's funny. Um, luckily, you know, the, two, the, 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 the three people that I've worked with, they've all just found my silly jokes funny. So it kind of works in my favor. Um, people watching might not find it funny, but as long as the person laughs that I'm working with, at least then it's not just dead air and sounds bad, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you got like, that's how I treat it. I, tr- I kind of just go back to my playing days um, when it's hip off and kind of just revert back to that mentality of onto the next play. And I think that's also too where my nerves kind of get in check is like, I might be nervous and like now I don't really get nervous before games, um, which is, I mean, I don't mind it. Even if I do get nervous, I also don't mind it because it means that I really want to do a good job. Not that not getting nervous doesn't mean that. Um, but like, like if there is a situation where I might be getting nervous, again, like I just revert back to my playing days. Um and once, you know, once the, the the producer says, you know, does the count and then says, go Megan, like that next 48, or if I'm doing a W game 40 minutes because their quarters are shorter. Like, it's just like my mind is focused on the game and I'm kind of just in game mode um, and kind of just treat it like I used to when I played. It's just like, it's me, my broadcast partner and everything happening within the four lines. And I kind of just check out everything else and don't even worry about it. So um, the nerves usually go away pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, your career is so heavily involved in sports, but I think it goes to show just how well sports prep you for real life situations and I think especially being, being younger and having to deal with those situations of going into a game, I think like it's really beneficial for kids. Cause it's like, you, you don't usually get put into those situations and a lot of people that when they do in the future, they're kind of like, what do I do?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, and if that's the, probably the, the really like tough or disappointing part about seeing, you know, less and less girls playing sports, not just basketball, but pl- just playing sports in general or deciding to stop playing at, you know, a specific age. Like right now it's what, like that 12 to 15 year old rage that um, girls are starting to no longer play sports or walk away from playing sports. Like if I didn't have sports growing up, I probably wouldn't, would one, not be in the position I am today. I too um, wouldn't have, you know, the confidence and determination that I have with doing things. Um, And and really and truly everything that I do now when it comes to broadcasting is because of what I learned playing sports, you know, playing a team sport, learning how to work together, because even though when you watch games, people only see two or three people with it being, you know, the play-by-play person, the analyst, and then, um, you know, it's dependent on every team and every broadcast, if there's a sideline reporter or not. So you sometimes see anywhere from two to five faces, because if you have a studio show, you might have a host and an analyst in studio as well too. So you don't see the people behind the scenes, but in my opinion, the people behind the scenes are just as, if not more important than the two people or three people that are on air, because we can prep all we want for being on air, but if something is going wrong behind the scenes and the crew behind the scenes are not able to figure it out, then it affects us because if it's something bad and we can't get on air, then we can't get on air. So I always um I always think that the behind the scenes people are just as important um if not more like I said with regards to television or radio broadcasts than the people that we see on camera. We just don't see them. Um but they're they're a huge and integral part to to things happening and sports taught me that it's not just about me even in individual sports. Like you might play on the tennis team in high school or college, but it's, it's not just you, you know, you might have a one-on-one matchup, but in order for your team to, you know, win the national title or have success, everybody on the team needs to be successful. So you want to make sure that you're also cheering on your teammates and you want to make sure that you're setting your teammates up for success. And broadcasting is no different. You know, I look at play-by-play and you're kind of just, I'm just the captain driving the ship. I'm, I'm just making sure that, you know, we don't hit any icebergs. We don't hit any, you know, dolphins or anything like that. And I'm just making sure that I'm setting on my analyst to be able to knock it out of the park, um, and, and make sure that we're all good. My job is the easy part it's just setting them up. So, um, playing sports taught me that, because if you don't know how to set your teammates up, then you can't really do that in the broadcasting world. So definitely, definitely learned, a lot of who I am, um, growing up playing sports and it set me up for success in now this broadcasting career.
0: Yeah. And you're someone who has experienced, you know, um, broadcasting for the WNBA, the NBA and the G league. Like what, what do you think are kind of like the main differences between them?
1: Um, I mean, the biggest one is obviously gender, but I grew up playing basketball and grew up playing, you know, sports with guys. So for me, it's not that big of a difference because basketball is basketball Um, whether it's men's basketball or women's basketball, the game is the exact same. There are, the rules aren't different. Um, So that's probably the most obvious one. But like I said, I don't see that as a difference Um, in all honesty. Like I don't think there's a huge, huge difference. Obviously when you go from, you know, the G League to the NBA, uh, that the size of guys is is taken up a notch. The speed is a little bit quicker. Um, when you're watching on TV, it might not look like that, but when you, you know, are sitting watching in person, um, there's a, a, definitely a difference um, there. I would say, you know, obviously with the G League and NBA and then the W, W games are shorter they play four 10 minute quarters as opposed to the four 12 minute quarters. Um, I would say the women's game, the the easiest way to, to describe it is like the San Antonio Spurs are like a prime example of, of the WNBA in the sense of like the way that they play. It's very fundamental. It's flashy, but it's not the flashy that, you know, people love with like huge lobs and dunks and stuff like that. Um, so anyone who loves, you know, the Spurs style of basketball, most likely are huge fans of the WNBA. Like, I don't know if you saw the, um, the interview with Cheney and, and Draymond and Draymond kind of breaking down. Like if you, if you claim to love basketball and I'm paraphrasing, cause there was a lot of colorful language in it. Uh, <laughs> like if you, if you claim to love basketball, then you should love the W. And if you don't like, then you really don't love basketball because that is basketball. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, like, do you get dunks in the W? Of course, we've seen it over the course of the last the, the last handful of years. Um, but the way that they play, like NBA guys love the way that the WNBA players play. So if you love basketball, then it shouldn't really matter which league you're watching. Um, in all honesty, like I just, I think the biggest difference for me is just that I have a different broadcast partner for each. So it's just making sure that like I'm matching you know, their style and their energy level and making sure that I'm accommodating the way that they kind of break down the game and not just doing a cookie cutter uh, version and making sure it's the same for each. Um, but like the game is the game. So it, it, when it comes to me calling it, it's really no different between the three, the three leagues that I've worked in because at the end of the day, it's the exact same game exact same size court the ball goes in the hoop the same way (laughs) yeah for me there's no difference
0: yeah I mean a lot of talks about that you know with the WNBA because I mean it's a lot of like you're saying it's fundamental basketball and I think because girls can't necessarily like hop as high as guys just because of um biological scientific facts Um, you see that there's a lot more basketball IQ and there's just a lot more real basketball being played.
1: And I think people that truly understand the game of basketball respect that more. Yeah, no, it's, it's no doubt. And I think, you know, you look at if you're a basketball purist, then you don't care if it's men or women playing you appreciate and have a love for the game period, whether it's college basketball or pro basketball, whether it's the NBA or WNBA or G League, like if you're a true basketball purist, then you just, you love watching the game no matter who is playing, no matter what team it is, no matter what league it is. So yeah, no, I would totally agree with you. If if you really love the game and, and are true to the game, then you could care less which gender happens to be playing
0: what's so cool about the G League is it's just there's a bunch of people that are trying to like make it to the league. And I honestly feel like they're out here like working harder and hustling more than the people that are in the NBA because these people are like me and I just want to make it, you know, and they're super hungry. It's so
1: interesting. Like that's probably the biggest thing I love about the G League is just watching the grind of these guys. Um, and, and when they get their moment and their opportunity, um, it's really exciting because. Like especially when you think of the last like month and a half and the way that um, COVID really affected the NBA and then you had this insurgence <laughs> of G League guys getting um, getting call ups oh, yeah. because of the the COVID crisis that essentially was was kind of just ravaging every single NBA time NBA team at different points but like seeing guys get that opportunity that you know unfortunate circumstances allow them to but at the end of the day they have to take advantage of it and just seeing them get that opportunity and how excited they were and how, how happy they were, but also too, to see how excited and supportive the NBA guys they were playing with were of them and getting this opportunity. Like that was probably for me, one of the best parts was seeing the NBA guys embrace these guys in these moments and really celebrate them um, is, has been really fun to watch, but yeah, that's probably one of the coolest, points of the G League is when you see guys put in the work from, you know, training camp into the games, and then they get that call up and they get that opportunity. And it's so fun because you, you've seen the progress and you've seen the the grind that they've put in to get to that point. So yeah, probably my favorite part of the G League.
0: And I think, you know, similarly talking about the WNBA, I honestly feel like it's harder for those women that want to make it to the WNBA because of the limited spots that there are. And so it's definitely a similar process in the way of like, you know, you really got to put it, you really got to be the best of the best. And it's hard because there's, there's just not that many spots.
1: Yeah. 144 spots. Sounds like a lot, but it really is not. Um, And a lot of the time, the grind that I was talking about actually happens not just over the, like over, over the off season, but it happens overseas when we don't necessarily get the avid opportunity to watch. Obviously now with technology and the internet things have changed. So we can watch these women overseas a lot easier than we used to, but that's where really the grind happens is when they go in the off season overseas to play again, um, to get themselves better and, and put themselves in a position to, you know, get that training camp invitation, or if they went from a training camp invitation the year before to getting on the roster and, and playing in the season, like that's where really the grinds, the grind happens, but you're right. Like 144 spots is not a lot. And um, selfishly, I would like to see more teams in the league because that means more of these amazing athletes get an opportunity to play in the WNBA. Um, So I'm hoping that, Commissioner Engelbert starts to um, starts the uh, expansion process a lot quicker and a lot sooner than she may want to, but as and that's just me selfishly as a W fan. Um, but I know a lot of fans would like to see you know expansion happen because when you see the talent that there is, and now we're seeing it with athletes unlimited playing right now, and you know people who were not in the W playing, and if not for AU they might've been overseas and we might not have heard of them and, and teams might not have been able to get looked So um, you can tell that there's a lot of talent on the women's side and there's just not a lot of opportunity to be on these rosters. So selfishly as a W fan, I would like to see a, a expansion happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'm from the Bay area and there's supposed to be, you know, talks of like um, a team here in Oakland. And I think that'd be awesome. just because California itself is such like a big basketball state. We have four NBA teams you know I think it's time and Oakland's not being used anymore everything's pulling
1: off so I think it'd be perfect to place a WNBA team there hey I think Oakland would work um Houston Houston will work because we know what they were able to do with the Comets you know there's so many hubs throughout the entire country that could totally work for a W team and You've seen it probably on social media. I know I've seen it on social media. Like the fans want it, and it's not just like current WNBA fans with WNBA teams in their cities. It's fans of the WNBA who watch the W who don't have a team in their city and they want the team. So there's definitely there's definitely fan um, fan love for it and fan base for it for sure. And
0: just lastly, what advice do you have for girls looking to pursue a career in broadcasting?
1: do it (laughs) like seriously, um, as simplistic as that is for advice, like do it. If, if, if you want to be in, in broadcasting, um, no matter what area of broadcasting, if you want to be in front of the camera, behind the camera, if you want to run a network, like who cares what it is, like go after it and do it. Um, because we need more women in broadcasting and in sports broadcasting, like I'm not even just talking sports, like broadcasting, period. Um, we need more women in decision-making, uh, you know, power seats. We need more women at the table to have these conversations because at the end of the day, like for me, the biggest thing is is you can't necessarily tell these stories if you don't have people who look like the story product telling the stories. Um, so the more we can have, you know, women and women of minorities in broadcasting in decision-making positions I think it's going to continue to open up the world for the stories to be told and stories that aren't being told to be told but to any young girl who wants to get into broadcasting or sports broadcasting like go go and do it get after it without question like for me I love it like I if you had to ask me like oh if you weren't broadcasting like what would you be doing I have no answer for you I'd probably be living with my parents. (laughs) Like I have no clue what I would be doing if I was not working uh, in broadcasting. And if I wasn't working in sports, how I am, like, I don't know what I would be doing because this is my plan A, B, C, D through the entire alphabet. Like, this is what I want to do. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. No, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.